If you can bring, yes, this mic up and the choir mic's up, we're gonna make up some music with you right now. We're gonna do some circle singing, which was, um, is most commonly associated with the famous singer Bobby McFerrin, where he works with groups of people and just creates a structured improvisation. And he just gives each different group a part to sing. So I'm gonna start you off, have you help us with some rhythm. And then I'll get them singing, and then I'll get you singing. All right, does so that sound okay? And once you get a pattern, you just repeat it over and over. So here's here's the easy. Here's the rhythm for the people who want something easy. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two. So can I get some stompers? One, two, three. One, two, three. One, three. Now here's a fancier rhythm. Here's a fancier rhythm for this side.
do one more. Let's do one more. Okay. Different rhythm. How about this rhythm?
words of Gretchen Haley. For this one moment, know only that you are loved, that you are safe and whole and loved. Know that you belong here, here among us, here upon this earth, in your body, however tired, or however broken your heart may be, whatever fear, disappointment, anger you carry, for this hour, know that you are not alone. Feel the presence of others surrounding you, breathing beside you and with you. Discovering together the way our voices rise and fall together in harmony, in hope. Claim here a resilient freedom, the choice for love, for light, to live with joy and gratitude and praise as a form of resistance. Already, we are organizing. Come, let us worship together. What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul, O oh my soul? What wondrous love is this? If you grab your gray hymnal and open to number 18, please join us in singing this beautiful American folk hymn. seated. Good morning everyone and welcome to First Unitarian. Thank you for the good morning back. Okay. I'm Anna Watkins and I am pleased to include you in this service. We're so glad you're here, whether you're in the sanctuary or the fellowship hall. And 
Uh, just a note for you, we did have some issues with the sound in the nine o'clock service, so if you are having any trouble hearing, you may want to <clears throat> go to the front desk and get a copy of the sermon there. So just a note about that. And chances are, if we were having trouble hearing, you didn't hear that. So. Okay. okay. <laughs> this is one, can you hear me? Okay. We enjoy having children with us, and I do see we've got some children with us here and there and we have special spaces for them. We've got an activity table at the back. I don't see anyone there, but maybe those artists will show up later. And um, the family room across the hall, and I must tell you, today was the first time I ever went in there and roamed around. Wow, what a cool place, okay? So if you wanna check that out sometime, uh, I recommend that if you wanna go in there, be a little bit more rambunctious than you can be here in the sanctuary. Um, and, and the children too, okay? Um, the service is live streamed in there, so you can go there. The playground at the front, and we have our, our usual users up here. Yeah, okay, is he? Playground over there. This is a really cool place, and you can sit right down on the soft, comfy carpet and uh, play with the toys or whatever you wanna do. Great place to sit, you can catch everything. Take a moment to look around and see the people here, okay? That's the other great thing about this. That's what we're all about. Uh, people you know, you know, give them a little wave. And look, at, look for the ones that you don't know yet, the new, ones who are new to you, and, maybe, and make a mental note to yourself that, hmm, when we get to the coffee hour, I'm going to go talk to that person, introduce myself, okay? Even, even you shy people, okay? All of us belong here in this place at this time. In the words of bell hooks, a generous heart is always open, always ready to receive our going and coming. In the midst of such love, we need never fear abandonment. This is the most precious gift true love offers, the experience of knowing we always belong. Welcome. have a story to share with you. I'm sure that you have heard this story before, uh, but this time, you know how you, you hear a familiar story and sometimes you get a different meaning from it? I think it has to do with how you listen to it, like where you're coming from when you're listening to that version. So today, listen to the story and wonder where the love is in this old familiar tale. I, I, once upon a time, uh, there was a small village inhabited by people who were quite poor and very angry. They didn't like sharing their things with others as they all had very little and were always fighting with one another, especially when it came to food. Nobody wanted to be hungry, 
So they were all quick to hide what they had and not share. This led to many disagreements and eventually they all began to lock their doors and windows tight and keep the little provisions they had hidden away for themselves. So one day, a visitor passed through the village. He was very hungry and exhausted from his long journey. He stopped at the first house he could see and knocked on the door, hoping to get some food. The woman inside cracked open the door a little and asked, who are you? And I just want to mention here, when was, when was there ever a time when a traveler who was traveling on foot could knock on any door and ask for food? <laughs> Can you imagine that happening today? It's just something to ponder. I guess that's what I thought when I read the story with my mindset. So the woman asked, who are you? Well, I'm a traveler passing through your village and I'm tired and hungry. Can I please have something to eat? Go away, we hardly have any food here, she said. I doubt you'll find anyone here who has food to spare. We are all poor. After she said this, the woman closed the door in the traveler's face. Well, the traveler wasn't ready to give up. He picked up a big stone from the ground and knocked again on the woman's door. The woman came to the door again and opened it just a bit. What do you want now, asked the woman. Well, since you are poor like me, I thought maybe you'd like to have some of my stone soup. It is delicious and filling. Stone soup, you say, laughed the woman as she saw the stone in the traveler's hand. You can't make soup from a stone. To that, the traveler replied, yes, you can. I've done it before. The woman didn't believe him as she had never seen someone make soup from stones. However, she was hungry too, so she invited him in. She lit the fire, placed a kettle of water on top, and opened the windows to let the heat out. The traveler placed the stone in the water until the water started boiling. He took a sip of the hot water and said, it's almost done, but if you had just a little salt and butter, it would taste much better. The woman went to her cupboard and returned with salt and butter. As the traveler was adding them to the stone soup, the woman's husband returned home with carrots and potatoes in his hand. What are you cooking? asked the woman's husband. Stone soup, replied the traveler and the woman. The man could not believe this and thought that it was impossible to make soup out of a stone. Well, it's almost finished, said the traveler as he tasted another spoonful of the soup. But I think it would taste much better if we added some carrots and potatoes to it. The husband was also hungry and so he agreed to add some carrots and potatoes to the stone soup. Soon, the smell of the soup 
drifted out of the open window and down the lane. A neighbor, who usually stayed inside, wandered out and followed the smell all the way to the first house. There, he heard the woman, her husband, and a traveler talking about the stone soup. Is the stone soup ready now? The woman and her husband asked the traveler. Uh, yes, but it could be even better if we had some turnips and beans. I have some, yelled the neighbor who was watching them from the window. <laughs> the neighbor was curious to taste the soup made of stones, so he returned with turnips and beans. He poured them into the pot, and the smell of the soup drifted further into the village. Word of a traveler making soup out of a stone drew the visitors uh, drew the villagers out of their houses and towards the woman's house. They all followed their noses with the incredible smell. Is the stone soup ready yet? Asked the villagers when they came to the window. Yes, but it's getting there. But you know, I remember that the best stone soup I ever had had chicken and broth in it. It was really good. I have chicken, said a farmer, and then ran home to get some. I have broth, exclaimed another villager who ran to fetch it. They both came back and placed the items into the pot. By this time, the pot was packed to the brim with goodness. The traveler tried another sip of soup. Perfect, he exclaimed. He then proceeded to serve a bowl of stone soup to every villager. It's delicious, said the villagers. Where can we get this magic stone? Asked some. Well, the traveler shook his head and fished the stone out from the soup. The villagers realized that it was a normal stone and the soup's flavor came from all the ingredients, not the stone. The traveler drank what was left of the soup and continued on with his journey. The villagers realized that when they stopped fighting and learned to come back together and share their things with each other, they could live together in delicious and peaceful harmony. such a timeless parable. And it made me hungry. <laughs> Anybody else feel like soup now? You know, next Sunday we really are gonna have soup after the service at noon between the service and our annual meeting. So keep that in mind. Before I start our meditation and prayer, I wanna bring your attention to an unusual feature in your printed program today. If you open it up, you'll see on the lower right-hand corner inside, there's a blank space where you can write a question. That's for our question box sermon next week when Bob and I will draw questions out of a hat or a basket or something and uh, answer them as many as we can in our usual sermon length time. So if you wanna get a question in, uh, fill it in on that box and you can put it in the offering basket later along with any contributions you wanna to make to the church or our Change for the Future partner. 
And if you don't think of your question in time today, you can also email it to specials at uuabq.org. Well, now I've got you thinking, and I'm going to tell you to stop, <laughs> or at least to become mindful of your thoughts. <laughs> we'll have some time to think about that. I'm going to lead us in the loving kindness or metta meditation. This is a meditation to cultivate a deep sense of caring for self and for all of creation. So it begins by, yes, settling into your body, settling into your seat. Let your hands rest. Let your face be at ease. If you want to, you can close your eyes. And I'll lead you in some affirmations. Hold them in your mind as I say them. If they evoke a physical response of some kind, just notice that too. The first affirmation is for yourself. May I live in safety. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I live with ease. May I live in safety, be happy, be healthy, and live with ease. Now call to mind somebody that you care about, a good friend or someone who's helped you in life. Visualize them and direct loving kindness to them. May you live in safety. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. May you live in safety, be happy, be healthy, and live with ease. Next, call to mind someone you know who's having a difficult time right now. Maybe they've experienced a loss, a difficult situation, some kind of painful change. Direct loving kindness to them. May you live in safety. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. And now, someone who plays some minor role in your life that you don't have a particular feeling for or against. Maybe somebody you see at the store checkout, a crossing guard at a school, or someone you just see once in a while but you don't really know them. Imagine them sitting in front of you and offer the same loving kindness to them May you live in safety. May you be happy. 
May you be healthy. May you live with ease. Now picture someone toward whom you have negative feelings. Maybe they've offended you. It might be someone you know personally, or even a public figure. Call them into your mind. Direct loving kindness to them. If it feels hard, remember that a person who is safe, happy, and healthy does not want to do harm. Direct loving kindness to them. May you live in safety. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. May all beings live in safety. Be happy. Be healthy and live with ease. All people, all creatures in existence, near and far, known to us and unknown to us, those being born and those dying, all beings on the earth, in the air and in the water. May all beings everywhere live in safety, be happy, be healthy, and live with ease. Feel the energy of this aspiration extending infinitely in front of you, to either side, behind you, above and below. The heart extending in a boundless way, leaving no one out. May all beings live in safety, be happy, be healthy, and live with ease.
lift up some prayers together. I begin with the name of Bill Weibel, beloved longtime member who has died after a long life. We'll hold a memorial service for Bill here in the sanctuary on Friday at 6 p.m. We lift up his memory and pray that his passing be in peace. We hold his son Joe and their family in our hearts. I invite you to think of the names in your hearts, the people and the places for whom you have a prayer today. And speak them aloud as the chime rings, if you wish, so that we can hold them with you. these people, loved ones and others, places, all these names and all the unspoken prayers we lift up to the great powers of healing, renewal, and celebration that we know by many names. And we pray that we make our lives a blessing upon others through our manner of being in this world. May it be so. And peace be with you.
we have a reading today, though it is not listed in the order of service. It's called Touched by an Angel by Maya Angelou. We, unaccustomed to courage, exiles from delight, live coiled in shells of loneliness until love leaves its high holy temple and comes into our sight to liberate us into life. Love arrives and in its train come ecstasies, old memories of pleasure, ancient histories of pain. Yet, if we are bold, love strikes away the chains of fear from our souls. We are weaned from our timidity in the flush of love's light. We dare be brave, and suddenly we see that love costs all we are and will ever be. Yet, it is only love which sets us free. I'm almost done with the coursework for a second master's degree, a master of arts in counseling. I started working on it a few years ago. Everybody needs a hobby. Mine is apparently school. <laughs> really, there have just been so many times in ministry when I wished I had a background in counseling, times when I wished I had known more about how to help somebody who was going through a crisis or relationship challenges or facing a big question in life, a big decision. And I've often even wished that I could just better identify what kind of help a person needed in a particular moment. And then the pandemic happened and all the worsening wildfires and storms, and I saw that those things were linked with climate change, which is also linked with political turmoil, the erosion of democracy, a rise in fascism and violence around the world, and displaced people. The hard things just keep coming. Some of them set more in motion. We can all see that, and we feel it in our bones. I realized we needed more. We need more help. We need help being resilient. We, you, use, and everybody need help processing our grief, our anxiety, our feelings of helplessness. We need help with intergenerational trauma and new traumas. We need help connecting with each other when there are forces driving us, manipulating us toward polarization all the time, toward viewing each other as enemies or existential threats instead of fellow humans just trying to make it and make sense in this world with our relatively short, fragile, precious lives. I'm not even talking about battlefields here with the enemies and existential threats. I'm talking about the social media and the internet, right? And the way they impact our ability to talk with each other, even right here in this church. So I've been working on a new skill set, one or two classes at a time. A minister who's also a mental health professional can do something different than either a minister or a counselor can do alone. I can offer support for a whole congregation's resilience and mental health. 
while holding the existential questions too, and knowing where to look for the wisdom of our ancestors. Psychotherapy and church. Psychochurch, we can call it. <laughs> it's still just church. I'm just bringing some new knowledge to my role in it, that's all. You can call it psychochurch if you want, though. <laughs> Couples and family counseling, child and adolescent counseling, community mental health, crisis and trauma intervention, substance abuse, group therapy, clinical assessment. I've learned about helping people make a change or connect with each other better or sort themselves out. I've learned how to help somebody identify when they're using an old way of thinking in a new situation and they need to adapt. I've learned how to help somebody adapt, naming their losses and unmet needs and finding new ways to thrive. But you know what we haven't talked about much in the counseling program? Love. We have not talked about love, which is curious because love plays a big role in our mental health, for sure. We need love to thrive, and in many cases, we need love to survive. It's an intimate need. Love also influences the way the world looks or doesn't. It inspires movements and big changes. Love is a big, ambitious thing, too. Our theological theme this month is liberating love. Love is hard to define, and I think that's why we don't talk about it a ton in the counseling program. It means different things, and it does different things. Every year at this time, Martin Luther King Jr. Day reminds us of how muscular love can be. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. MLK also said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Love is intimate and tender, and it's a big, powerful force. When we love another person, we see, or we at least can let ourselves imagine their wholeness, not just admirable and objectionable parts, but the vulnerability underneath all of that in everyone. We begin to see how much we have in common. We begin to see our interdependence. We see how much a person who seems to be our enemy has been shaped by forces beyond their control. Everything from where they were born and what they were taught to whether they had enough mental and physical and other resources to get by in life. We see how all these forces set things in motion that have rippling effects and how ultimately what touches one person touches all of us, even if it's far away. In the mental health field, instead of talking about love directly, we talk about fostering the ingredients in loving relationships. Sometimes counselors do this for more than one person at a time, like when two or more people in a relationship or a family come together in therapy. But most often, more often than that, counselors foster the ingredients of love within an individual, a single person in front of them. They help people with identifying harmful thoughts and beliefs and reframing things. They help with quieting the voices of self-criticism and checking self-expectations. Are the expectations realistic? Are they kind? Whose goals do they reflect? And counselors help people with self-acceptance, which is hard for many people. Self-acceptance is a challenge for most of us. 
There's a TED Talk by former ABC news anchor Dan Harris. He's the guy that had a panic attack live on air while delivering some otherwise mundane headlines. His nationally televised freakout, as he refers to it, led him to meditation, something he had previously disregarded as fluffy nonsense. And that led him to inquire about how others experienced him. Turns out he had some good qualities, but he acted like kind of a jerk. The people who knew him best called him angry and self-centered. And this led him to a loving-kindness meditation retreat. A loving-kindness retreat sounded, he says, like Valentine's Day at gunpoint. Like, about that fun. <laughs> but Dan Harris wanted to learn to be more loving and kind. So he went to a whole multi-day retreat based on the practice we experienced for a little bit in our meditation this morning. At the beginning of the retreat, the instructor told Harris that whenever he noticed any personal demons coming up while he was meditating, he should touch his heart area and say to himself, it's okay, sweetie, I'm here for you. Oh, hell no. There is no flipping way Dan Harris was going to say those words to himself, right? Too tough for that. But as he meditated, here are the thoughts that repeatedly tormented him. First, there was self-centeredness and rage. He found himself fantasizing about promoting himself online, like posting fake positive reviews of himself, for example. And then he imagined yelling and fighting with his boss about the promotions he deserves. That self-centeredness and rage was then followed by the thought, I am such a jerk. Even my thoughts are jerk thoughts. Disappointment in himself and harsh criticism, which was followed by more self-centered and rageful thoughts, and then more scathing self-criticism and hate. Those were the demons, quote unquote. And there are different ways to frame those kinds of thoughts. I do not literally mean demons. But I want to pause here for a second and invite you to see if you know what your demons are, what your thoughts like that are. Thoughts are a pattern of thoughts that make you miserable or keep you stuck. Maybe they rear up every time you let yourself quiet down enough to hear them and so you don't. Beliefs that allow you to accept less than a more worthy person would or to sacrifice too much of yourself or thoughts that prevent you from being fully known, from letting yourself be known by others. For me, I've struggled with anxiety since I was a little kid. As a child, I used to have nervous tics like scrunching my eyes. And sometimes I did compulsive behaviors that seemed odd to others like tapping myself in a certain way or mouthing words back to myself. As an adult, I'm beginning to understand that this is partly due to being neurodivergent, just wired differently. But one of my demon thoughts, is the thought that if I were better at managing anxiety, I could do more. Do more fill in the blank, right? Notice the sneaky underlying belief, I am not doing enough, right? What are yours? 
Everyone has them. The question is just how much power they have over us. So back to Dan Harris. After five days, five days of cycling through self-centeredness, rage, self-criticism, and self-hate, he finally softened or gave up just enough to put his hand on his heart, and he did not call himself sweetie. <laughs> he said, it's all good, dude. I know this sucks, but I've got you. And he noticed in that moment, when he stopped fighting those thoughts, they settled down. His self-acceptance, which is an expression of self-love, disarmed them. He says it was embarrassing. At its best, love is unconditional, but it often is not free. It costs us something. What I mean is that at times, we have to let go of something, and even something that we may have felt was valuable to us, in order to make ourselves available to receive that love. This is true of self-love, too. The first price of self-love is often our ego. For Dan Harris, this was embarrassing, and it was humbling, because he wanted to be better than somebody who would have those demons. And that's where the self-flagellation and self-hate came in, right? You would think self-love might be like an ego-boosting thing, but actually, it can be quite humbling. Dan Harris had to let go of that ideal self and accept himself as he really was in order to get free. So it cost him some of his ego, but it was worth that price, and that is why he did a TED Talk about it later, and you can find it too. Notice that self-acceptance didn't mean he didn't still want to change or grow. It was quite the opposite, actually. By beginning with a gentle self-acceptance of where he really was, that helped make change more possible, because it disrupted that cycle. What can you say when you face your demons or those destructive thoughts that torment us? It's okay, sweetie, I'm here for you might actually be pretty nice. We really can give ourselves tender, sweet love, especially if we didn't get enough of it as kids. It's all good, dude, I've got you, is also perfectly fine. Or how about, even though I struggle with I completely accept myself, whatever that thing is. Even though I struggle with this thing, I completely accept myself. And if we feel resistance within ourselves to that acceptance, and maybe you can feel it right now at the mere suggestion, right? It might be because our ego is still protesting, still demanding that we be some other person than who we actually are. So lay down your weapons. Lay down your weapons that you have for yourself. You cannot hate yourself into peace and wellness. Only love can do that. James Baldwin said, love takes off the masks that we fear we cannot live without and we know we cannot live within. Here's something else love might cost, the way things are. Self-love might cause us to give up something else like a relationship that depends on our self-diminishment. 
Self-love might lead us to remove a mask that made others comfortable. Masks of gender and sexuality are common ones, but how about masks of toughness or invulnerability or earning potential or productivity or being in control? Or even masks of low worth, right? Even removing a mask of low worth, low self-worth can cause us to lose something. You think you're better than us, someone you know might say, if you act as though you're just good enough, just good enough. Or you don't care about us if you don't spend yourself down to nothing in service to others. As a gay black man in the mid-20th century, James Baldwin knew it isn't always safe to remove certain kinds of masks. It's something that each person has to discern for themselves. But when we feel able to stop wearing a mask that made others comfortable, there are a couple of things that can happen. One, they can reject us, either by leaving or becoming hostile, which pushes us away. And that's very painful when that happens. Or, two, they can adapt, possibly by taking more responsibility for their own selves and growing in their own happiness. Family systems theory is a branch of counseling and ministry studies, both disciplines have it, that deals with that dynamic. Self-love, the kind that is humble and caring and real, it can be really contagious, which is why I'm talking about it, and it's why I want you to do it. It is not just fluff. It's actually one of the antidotes that we need for these particular times. It makes us kinder and more resilient and better at healing and it is also ancient wisdom. So here's some of that from Psalm 139 to the one who spoke the world into being. You created my innermost parts, wove me in my mother's womb. I acclaim you for fearsomely am I set apart. Wondrous are your acts and my being deeply knows it. It's in the Psalms. And Proverbs 19.8. A person who is wise loves their own soul. And just think about this for a second. Why on earth would it be said in like all the world religions to love your neighbor as yourself if it were not important to love yourself, right? It's right there in front of us. And of course, there's the Buddhist practice of loving kindness, which we've experienced this morning. Humankind's spiritual ancestors knew the wisdom and the power of this kind of love. I'm gonna close with the words from our call to worship, bring those back again, those words of Gretchen Haley's, may we claim here a resilient freedom, the choice for love, for light, to live with joy and gratitude and praise, all of that as a form of resistance. May it be so. Our offering ritual gives us a time and place to show love and gratitude for our church, its inspiration and service to us as individuals, and for nurturing a beloved community. Your time, talent, and financial gifts are all appreciated. To carry out our work, we also engage with other organizations whose mission resonates with our own. Our change for the future partner this month through February is CASA Q, a caring organization that provides 
safe living for LGBTQ youth and their allies through housing, services, and advocacy. We all need a place where we know we are loved for who we are. You can help to make this happen for these young people. Please mark a pew envelope, CFF, or place coins in the basket to benefit Casa Q. We will now gratefully accept the offering. George Matheson, at the age of 19, was engaged to be married to a young woman, but he was also losing his eyesight. And because his fiancée could not fathom living a life with a blind man as her husband, she broke off the engagement. So he lived in deep grief, and his sister took care of him and helped him. He continued as a minister. And when his sister got wedded, married several years later, all of that grief came pouring back at him. And so he wrote this piece, O oh love, O oh love that will not let me go. And so this is Elaine Hagenberg's beautiful setting of O oh love. <clears throat>
Thank you, choir. And thank you, everyone, for your generosity on behalf of the congregation and our Change for the Future partner. I see a few questions in these offering baskets. I suspect there are more out there. Thank you, ushers. You can also just hand them to me after the service, and I'll put them in the, the pile. Um, you can also, I think I said earlier, email them to specials at uuabq.org in the next few days if you think of one later. We've got a, an update and some invitations to share with you. The update is about our pledge campaign. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that our annual meeting was coming up and we were facing a big deficit of $117,000. I'm really happy to say that we have shrunk that deficit by a bit. We now uh, are facing a deficit of around 90,000. So that's a big chunk off of that, thanks to the people who responded to that um, invitation to pledge or to increase their pledge. Um, and also, obviously, thank you to everybody who pledged before that moment. <laughs> it all added up. And we're hoping to close that gap some more before next Sunday at 2 p.m. So if you're able to respond with a pledge or an increase, um, you can do that online or in the church office. Uh, that annual meeting, that's next Sunday, 2 p.m. We hope that you'll come to the services in the morning and stay for lunch. It's a soup lunch. Uh, it's taking place in the social hall. Uh, the, any donations collected for the soup will go to fund our 75th anniversary celebrations. So party money <laughs> coming from the soup. We're also looking for people who would like to make soup or otherwise help with that lunch. And you can stop by the table in the social hall and let them know uh, if you'd like to do that. Then at two is the annual meeting. Members in good standing can vote at that meeting where we'll elect our leaders and vote on a budget. Um, but anybody can attend it, so you don't have to be a member in good standing to attend it. You can be anybody. Uh, and it's also going to be on Zoom, so you can attend on Zoom if that works better for you. Same link as you would use, same Zoom ID as worship services. That's a lot? That's a lot. <laughs> also, next Sunday, the fourth Sunday speaker series returns at 10 a.m. in the Memorial Hall. And I've only been to one of these, but... It was so good, I need to come to more of these, and I urge you to do, uh, do just that. We will continue to explore the issue of housing in Albuquerque. In particular, what is our city currently doing to address the large number of people who remain without housing and are living in encampments or cars? And this is real. One of my holiday traditions has been to go to the shopping center near where I live and look at all the stores that are closed and the completely empty parking lot. Last Christmas, that parking lot was not empty because there were people parked there living in their cars. I got the message. I will go to this. I urge you also. Uh, this is real. Thank you. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. We all have a stake in what the city does to address this and how we can help. All right. We hope you'll stay for coffee right now after the service. There will be a chat table in there if you'd like to um, have a conversation with others. And they will be using a discussion question, at least one. Sometimes I think they come up with their own, too. Um, so here's one to get the conversations going. Which words of acceptance would you offer to a friend? Like a friend who needed to hear that you completely accept them. Can you imagine saying the same words to yourself? 
why or why not? All right, let's, let's sing. and open to number 299, make channels for the streams of love. and keep you. Go in peace and may love bless you and keep you until we are gathered again. Blessed be.